We are in Malachi chapter 2, and we're going to unpack verses 13 to 16 tonight. But before I do, I alluded to last week that it was going to be kind of almost a two-part sermon series. That kind of sounds kind of silly because we've been in Malachi each week. This is our sermon series. But uh, this... (laughs) I was hoping that I was the only one that heard that. Um, But this is uh, the second part of last week's sermon. And so I know some of you weren't here last week, so I'll just kind of briefly get you caught up to what's taking place. Back in Malachi chapter 2, verse 10, he expresses how some of the people have been treated not as they ought to be treated. They have been treated faithlessly. These relationships that we have within the spiritual community of God are not as they should. And for that very reason, the relationship, this vertical relationship that we have with God, it's not how it should. People are being mistreated. And we're going to see a little bit more in detail just how that's taken place. But one of the issues that was happening, according to verse 11, is that they were marrying the daughters of a foreign god. That is, they were getting involved in relationships that they really had no business getting involved in. And there's so much to be said about that, especially in the culture that we live in today, in which it seems that the only prerequisite to marry or even date someone within the American Protestant church is, well, are, if, do they have a personal relationship with Jesus? And I stole this from John MacArthur, and I'm reading his book, The Gospel According to Jesus. He says, a personal relationship to Je- with Jesus He said, that's one of the most vague, abstract things. If if you don't define that, that can really mean whatever you want it to. For even Judas had a personal relationship with Jesus at one point. Even the devil himself had a personal relationship with Jesus. But we are in and accustomed to just throwing out these terms without actually defining them. And some of us are very unwise in the relationships that we pursue And then the relationships that we even entertain. And so our spiritual ancestors sort of speak here in verse 11 of chapter 2. They were marrying the daughters of a foreign god. Big mistake. Getting involved in relationships they should not have been getting involved in. And and I I gave you some solutions, some questions to ask when you're at this point in your life. If you're a girl and there's a guy showing interest to you, or if you're a guy and you're interested in a girl, just, just from pull it out of my little lunchbox of advice and wisdom that a lot of other people have given to me that are older and wiser. Because I don't want us to make these same mistakes. I want to avoid this because it had some serious and still has many serious consequences. <clears throat> so I, when someone comes to me and they say, Hey, Joe, this guy is... Interested, this guy has been pursuing me or showing me interest, or this guy says, I'm, I like this girl. Oftentimes, the question is, I say, is, Well, are they a member of a local church? And there's always a why or why not to this question, as well as all of them that I, I'm going to throw out and, and give to you. Well, are they, are they attending? Are, are they, or at least, do they go somewhere to church? Why or why not? Are they part of a small group community in which they can Romans 12, 15 it up and rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep? 
and, and do life together with other believers and serve and know and care one another? Why or why not? Are they a giving? Are they a generous type of person? Do they have an older guy or older girl in their life to mentor them? I'm not talking about their RA who might be three years older than them. Do they have someone older? Say, why or why not? And if that answer is no, I usually say, well, then you probably should pursue. Are, are they pursuing that type of person? There was a great Matt Chandler article, Desiring God, shared. I shared it. Some of you saw it. And on it, he says, I encourage younger guys and younger girls all the time to find older gals and guys and to just kind of get in their way. Get in their way. Hey, can I hang out? Hey, can we spend some time together? Hey, can we pray? Can we talk about life? And you say, well, I don't even know who to, who to do that. I mean, I had people come to me last week after church and say, is there anyone you can recommend? Yep. Anyone you can recommend? Yeah. If, if you're not, if, if you're going to Liberty and you've been here all four years and you've never taken the opportunity to seek out an older guy or older girl, you really should. As soon as I met Pastor Dane back in 2009, I mean, I was just like, just want to be a sponge and spending time with him. It's really, really important. And I'm not saying just because you do all these things, man, that's, that's it. That's like the magic wand. But I'm saying I think these are really good litmus tests to whether or not that person that you're interested in or that you're thinking about pursuing or they're thinking about pursuing you, are, are they there? Because if they're not, the last thing I want, ladies, is for you to have to drag that guy to do these type of things now while you're dating him when he's supposed to be on his best behavior. Because odds are, if you have to do that now, you'll probably have to keep dragging him to do these things 5 and 10 and 15 years from now. And I think these are great, just very applicable things to our lives to help us exercise wisdom and to help us avoid the pitfalls of our spiritual ancestors and getting involved in relationships they had no business getting involved with. And so that's the backdrop. That was problem number one of this two-part thought that Malachi introduces here. People are not being treated as they should. They are being treated faithless. And things with God are not as it should be. It can't be. It cannot be good. And so, here's our text for tonight. And this second thing you do. We talked about the first thing. They're marrying the daughters of a foreign god. They're in relationships they have no business being a part of, part in. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because He no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. They're upset. There is no question their sincerity here. They are upset. They are weeping. They are groaning. They are crying all over the the Lord's altar. They are genuinely upset. The people are. And they're upset because God is not showing His favor upon them. God is not accepting their gifts that they bring to Him. Things with them and God, this vertical relationship, it's not as it should be. And they know that. 
Man, it affects every part of your life. Listen, I don't care how successful you are in this life. I don't care how much money you make in this life. If things with you and God is not how it ought to be, then it doesn't matter how successful you are or how good things are going or how great that project turned out or how many A's you have or whatever measurement of good you're using. So they're upset, they're crying, they're weeping, they're groaning. But here's the thing. All this weeping, all this groaning, unfortunately, it's not coming because they're repentant. Oh, they're upset. I'd say they're even angry at God. Because of his refusal to accept their gifts. Their, his refusal to accept their offerings. His refusal to show favor. And their lives and circumstances. And so they're weeping and they're crying and they're groaning. Because he's not meeting their demands. And as one commentator writes. They haven't imagined that the failure was their own. They haven't imagined that maybe the reason things aren't going so well is because of all the garbage in your life that you haven't taken care of. Judah had expected the Lord to receive their offerings, to receive their gifts with pleasure, with favor, but he hasn't. And God's people, yet again, have not learned this lesson that no amount of religious activity can be a substitute for genuine, authentic worship. We haven't got that lesson yet. Like Religious activity does not equal worship. I read my Bible. Oh, got it. I went to church. Got it. Went to small group, okay. Even met with my mentor, got it. Doing all these good things, prayed, got it. But their heart isn't right. Their heart isn't right at all. This is like the guy who, who says, man, I've been reading my Bible all week. You know, it's finals week. People tend to get very needy with God when it's finals week. This is the week that everyone wants to go to church, man. Okay, oh, oh man, I haven't been to church all semester. I should probably go tonight. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no one in here falls into that criteria, but this is like the guy who says, well, man, I've read my Bible all week long. I even went to church. I prayed, and then I asked my teacher to round up my grade to an A, and they were like, but you have a 40% in the class. <laughs> But I read my Bible all week. So it's like, is that a maybe? <laughs> I know, Pastor Dane, you've told me stories before of people who have come to your office, and often it's couples, and they come and they say, Pastor Dane, she's pregnant. And then it's followed by, in some cases, how could God have let this happen? And they're crying, and they're upset, and they're a little angry. How could God have let this happen? And this is very much the mindset of the people. 
Oh, yeah, they're sincere in their emotions that they're displaying. They're weeping all over the Lord's altar. But it's not coming from a heart of repentance. They're angry and mad that this has happened. The people are angry and mad that God is not accepting their offerings, that God is not showing favor to them and their circumstances in their life. And they haven't yet taken responsibility for themselves. They haven't stopped to think, you know what? Maybe... I couldn't be. I mean, I'm pretty awesome, but maybe part of the problem lies with me. They haven't got that yet. And so they go through their day, business as usual, sweeping it, whatever it is, away. And so verse 14 says this. But you say, why does he not? Malachi, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he accept our offerings? Malachi, why doesn't he accept our gifts? Okay, like we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And so Malachi says, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? So they come and they say, Why? And Malachi says, Let me tell you. You have been treating one another faithlessly. You've been treating one another faithlessly. You say, Oh, I was here last week. That's what he said in verse 10. Are these connected? Yes, they are. Some of the ways in which they are treating each other faithlessly deal specifically with their spouse, with the person that they're married to. And they are marrying the daughters of a foreign god. Contextually, what is taking place here? Yes, some of the guys are getting involved in relationships that they have no business getting involved in. And some of the others are actually doing it even though they're married and leaving their wives to do it. As if the first was not egregious enough. And they wonder why things aren't going the way they were hoping it would go. They're wondering why that he's not showing them favor. They're wondering why that he's not accepting their gifts, their offerings. Why not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. This phrase, the wife of your youth, understanding this phrase only heightens the treachery behind what they're doing because it implies, as one commentator writes, a long history of the wives' faithfulness to their husbands. That phrase, the wife of your youth, it implies that there has been a long history of the wives' faithfulness to their husbands. One commentator, I was reading from the New American Commentary, he said this is like this river flowing down the mountain. It's constant, it's continuous, it's consistent, it's faithful. And yet, the salmon decides to swim against the current. decides to swim up into it against the flow 
And in a like way, in a, in a like way, these men are exercising that same determination as the salmon would to do this. Like you've really got to go out of your way, not just to get with that girl, but to leave the one you're married to to get with her. It takes a lot of determination to sin, and yet you wonder why the Lord is upset. You wonder why things aren't going the way they should be. How can they? How can things in this relationship be okay if things in these relationships not be okay? You're you're kidding yourself. And so he says this, And I'll come back uh, to verse 14 and 15 in a second, but I want to keep going. I have, I, there's more I want to explain, but I'll, I'll keep going. So he says in verse 15, halfway through, and what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. What was the one God seeking from these relationships? He was seeking godly offspring. What do you mean by that? Whether you have biological children, whether you have adopted children, whether you can't have children... The one God seeks godly offspring. It's pretty difficult to have godly offspring that have godly children who love the Lord. It's, it creates, not impossible, but very difficult when you're in a relationship with someone who doesn't love the Lord. It really is. Not impossible. He wants godly offspring. What does that look like? I think Deuteronomy 6 4 to 9 illustrates this. I tell you a story, but why? Moses already did. Deuteronomy 6. Let me just read this to you. Hear, O Israel. This is Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as fontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What does the one God want? Godly offspring. He wants parents who are going to Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9 it up. But that becomes very difficult when one of those parents doesn't love God. Not impossible. Many of you know my dad is not a Christian. My dad hates God. He's an enemy of God. His mind is hostile to God. That's, that's Paul language from Romans 1, 35, 10, and 8, 7. It's Paul language there. It's not impossible. By God's grace, I am here standing before you today. And it's testimony to his grace because of my dad's hostility to the Lord. And some of you know what that's like. Some of you know what that's like, and yet you're reckless in entertaining relationships. You're reckless in the things that you would consider to be good relationships. Man, I'm telling you, it's a big deal who you marry. These guys are making horrendous mistakes. Terrible mistakes. 
getting involved with guys they shouldn't be getting involved with, getting involved with girls contextually, that's the context here, that they had no business getting involved with, and that makes godly offspring, well, less and less of a reality when the person that you're raising these kids with doesn't love the Lord, when they're pulling you against all the things that you're trying to strive toward. It's reckless and it's foolish. And so his advice then at the end of 15 is guard yourselves. Back to 15. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Guard yourselves. Or be very, very careful. Watch over yourselves. And, and, and it, there is a real temptation don't quote Zoolander too often because it's not in theaters, nor do I recommend seeing it. But man, that trailer. You know, so much of us have this mindset where she's hot. I trust her. That, that's our mindset, right? Oh, that person is so attractive. Like, whew, man, I'm sure they love Jesus. You have a personal relationship with Jesus? You do? Okay, awesome. That's all I need to know. We're good. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, they'll have me back by curfew. I said last week, I honestly think um, part of the, the temptation, the reason he's saying guard yourselves, so guard yourselves in your spirit. Be careful, people. Be careful. It's because this is really a dangerous trap. If the women here were unattractive, I don't think Malachi would be saying the things that he's saying. Okay? I, I, I have to, I think it's, Maybe it's a far-reaching implication, but I think it's fair enough that I think to say that part of the temptation is that some of these women are very attractive. Like if I had to put in a category between like women who are on The Biggest Loser or women who are in the Miss Universe contest, I'd probably say it probably isn't more like the women who are in the Miss Universe contest that we're see seeing here. Like otherwise, like I don't think it would be a temptation. I don't think that would be that much of a struggle. It doesn't say anything to their physical appearance, but. I'm thinking that just maybe that they're really, really attractive. And that is a temptation and a struggle just as much here in the ancient Near East in 460 B.C. as it is today. And our minds just sometimes turn to mush. So guard yourselves. Be careful. Be so careful. And he continues. Verse 16. For, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So he introduces the topic of divorce. Many of you, like myself, have parents who are divorced. I've been divorced. Um, so this is going to be tough. It's tough to talk about this. And part of the, the reason I, I genuinely think that um, it's prevalent, divorce, it's prevalent in our society. I'm on the subway in New York City, and there's a sign that says, 1-800-DIVORCE, when diamonds aren't forever. I, laugh, I laughed, and I'm thinking, but that, that's the mindset of the culture, right? That's the mindset. 
My job here is I want you to have a big mindset, a big view of God. Because part of the reason for things like that, that mindset that pervades the American culture today, is because our view of marriage is so low. A low view of marriage? Whatever, you get divorced, it's not a big deal. And part of the reason the marriage view is so low is because we have a low view of God. My effort here is to elevate God, that you see the greatness of God, that you see the beauty of God. For I truly believe in that having a high view of God may enable you to have a high view of marriage. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces, or says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. This text is difficult to translate. Your Bible, like mine, probably has lots of footnotes at the bottom with different explanations. I know the ESV Study Bible has great explanations on this because often the alternate phrase is that God hates divorce. And uh, I would encourage you to read those notes in your ESV Study Bible. And if you don't have one, to get one because they are truly the best. MacArthur, he's probably second, but ESV is great. It has some great explanations to this text. And for that reason, and for the sake of time, I, I will spare you from the length that I would have taken uh, approaching this from a textual criticism point of view. So how do we make sense of this? It says that the man who does not love his wife but divorces or says the Lord of the God of Israel covers his garment with violence. The word violence is found some 60 times in the Old Testament. And ultimately, when violence is acted out, ultimately it is acted out against Yahweh. It may be acted out against other people, but ultimately it's against Yahweh himself. And that there are other words in the Old Testament that are used to describe human wickedness in a general sense. including violence. And there are other words that are closely related to the word used for violence here, such as sin and inequity and pride and malice and wickedness, especially oppression. As one commentator notes, the man of violence is also a wicked man, is also an evil man, is also a worthless man, is also a perverse man. The, the point Malachi ultimately, I believe, is trying to make here is that such a man who does this will wear the shameful character for all to see. Back to verse 16. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. It's evident and obvious for all to see such a shameful act. And he says, So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Once again, he comes back and he says this. He admonishes the people, be careful. Oh, guys, I wish and I pray so hard for you that you will avoid making many of the mistakes that others, including our spiritual ancestors, have made. But this, this cannot be done if you are reckless. This cannot be done 
if you do not heed Malachi's words. So guard yourselves and your spirit. It's a strong warning to every husband that he must constantly be on guard against developing a negative attitude toward his wife. And that's hard when you have two sinful people living together. And they get on your nerves, and you get on their nerves, and it just it happens. It happens. It's also a sanctifying thing. I said, I'm sorry a lot over the last couple of days. Prelay. C.J. Collins, C.J. Collins admonishes, He who is wise will watch for the first stirrings of resentment, which might turn into dislike, and repent of it immediately, lest he deal treacherously with her, whom the Lord has given to be a blessing. So, guard yourselves. Malachi's statement here about divorce I'm going to come back and do a quick little regrouping and address a couple other things. Malachi's statement here about divorce cannot be seen as absolute because there are other passages in scriptures, in the scriptures which seem to make allowances for it under certain criteria. And I would be amiss if I did not address that. In Ezra 10 Verse 5, Ezra 10, verse 11. But I'm really thinking more so of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. It is what has been referred to as the exception clause. And I'll read that for you. In Matthew 19, verse 9, he says, And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Sexual immorality, that the word is pornea. And I believe it's not just referring to, okay, I, I had sex with this person who I wasn't married to and I was unfaithful to my wife. Pornea can be a, a very general junk drawer term describing a variety of sexual things, not just having intercourse with someone who you're not married to. So we cannot take Malachi's words to be an absolute. And unfortunately, there are cases in which people get divorced. But I do think that the heart of God is one that does hate divorce. And I'm going to argue for that right now. I do think his heart is that. And while there is an exception clause, I think his deepest desire... I don't think that's it. I think his deepest desire is reconciliation. And this is why. I've, I've had the opportunity and the privilege to do a couple of weddings. I got to do Chris and Caroline's wedding back in May. Um, and one of the things I like to say first, one of the things I like to say first, um, I got this from John Piper, who got it from Jesus. <laughs> Thanks for laughing. Mark chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says, What therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. It's Mark 10, 9. 
What therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. You know, that sounds really similar to what we just read back in Malachi verse, I don't know, 14, 15? Look at this. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth. Though she is your companion, your wife by covenant. Verse 15, Malachi 2. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? It's no wonder that Jesus says, nor should it come as any surprise, that he says, what God is joined together, let no one separate. God joins those two people together when they get married. So what's taking place? What's happening there? There are many reasons for marriage. Many reasons. I'm sure you guys can think of them right now. There's there's many, many reasons for marriage. But there is one reason that is ultimate above all the rest. There is one reason that shines brighter than the rest of them. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, he says... That a man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. He quotes Genesis 2. He quotes the first marriage of our father, Adam, and our mother, Eve. And then he says something very interesting. He says that this is a profound mystery in the very next verse in Ephesians 5.32. This says, that's a profound mystery. That God should do that. That a man should leave his father and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. That's, that's crazy. But let me tell you what it means. I am referring, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. There is one reason that stands above all the rest for marriage. And that marriage exists to glorify God. And the covenant-keeping love between him and his church. If you're married and here today, that's why you're married. If you desire to be married someday, that's your desire. Whether you know it or not. Like that, that ultimately is the reason for why marriage exists. Marriage is a picture. It's a living drama between two people. And it represents Christ and his bride, the church. It represents Christ and the believers, Christ and his elect, Christ and his church. You see, if Christ ever left his church, if Christ ever divorced his church, I'd say, yeah, you want to get divorced? Go ahead. But Christ doesn't do that. Christ never leaves the church. He is always faithful to his bride, He never checks out on her. He's constant. The reason that divorce is so egregious is because divorce is a misrepresentation of that. Paul says in Ephesians 5.31, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church, the reason that divorce is such an egregious thing, the reason that Malachi is coming and just bringing the word right now to these people, and you think I'm hard, I bet this guy was super hard on them. It's because this is such a terrible thing. Because it's misrepresenting. It's misrepresenting the picture that it's set in place to display. Christ never, 
ever, ever walks out and leaves the church ever. And so, here are these people. Here are these people. And they are, man, it's business as usual. It's, I'm going to go through all this religious activity. And then when they do it, they wonder why. Wait, why are things with me and God not as they should be? Why does it seem like things are just so rough right now in my life? I'm not saying that the reason things are rough right now in your life is because things with you and God are not, but I'm also not saying that. It could very well be. But I want to be clear, because I think the text is clear here, that no amount of religious activity can ever be a substitute for heartfelt worship. It doesn't matter how many times you read your Bible. It doesn't matter how many times you've prayed this week. It doesn't matter whether you went to church in small group or whatever it may be. Like these people, they're crying, they're upset. They're like, but we're doing all the things we're supposed to be doing. No, you're just going through the motions, folks. Malachi says, you're going through the motions and things aren't right with you and God. Things aren't right. And no amount of this religious activity can invite God's favor into our lives and circumstances if we're first not willing to repent. It's not just, it's not just about the things we should be doing. It's also about the things we need to stop doing. that we might learn from the people of Judah who are being faithless to one another, who are marrying people they shouldn't be marrying, making excuses. Well, he's just really stressed right now. You know, he, he means well. He really does love God. He, he's just going through a lot. La- ladies, I'm telling you, and it's not just ladies, it's also guys, I'm telling you, if you have to make excuses for the person that you're with right now, constantly and there's a certain validity to I think any excuse that you have to examine but just be careful be so careful that that we might learn from these mistakes and exercise wisdom and discernment like this is the time when you're dating someone that's when they're supposed to be on their best behavior I don't want us to make these mistakes of our spiritual ancestors I don't want any of you to ever have to go through the pain and hurt of, of divorce. I've never been divorced. But many of you share that pain. You know what that's like, and it freaking sucks to have your family ripped apart. The stakes are high that we might learn from these people, that we might, well, as Malachi says, guard yourselves in your spirit. Be careful. As the band comes, I want to pray for you. Holy Father, we love you. We worship you. We praise you because you are God. Lord, please help us to hear Malachi's words and for them not to escape our minds, for his words not to escape our ears, but to take root in our lives that we would be careful, that we would guard ourselves and our spirit, that we would not be faithless to one another, 
that we would treat each other as we ought to. God, help us. I know many have experienced the pain and hurt indirectly from divorce. And it's, it's hard. It's really hard. So I pray that we would be that much more vigilant. As St. Augustine prayed so long ago, Lord, command what you will and give what you command. Enable us to do the things that you've asked us to do. God, help us to be what right looks like. And we pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, in our King Jesus' name. Amen.